You know, everybody has a stereotype about a pastor. You know, what does this guy do and what's he supposed to do? Uh, we've all got different ideas. I want to tell you this. Pastors are just like you. And when I talk about pastors this evening, I'm talking about myself or staff pastors, elders. Pastors are just like you. Pastors have good days and bad days. They have struggles, and they're certainly not perfect. Don't say amen too loudly. But one thing about a pastor is he is called by God to do what he's doing. Let me say it again. He's called by God to do what he's doing. But here's a question I want to ask you today, and it's something that I guarantee you have a thought or an opinion about, but we're going to look into the Bible. Why has God put pastors and elders in your life? Why has God placed someone in your life that you would look to or listen to and call or refer to and see as a shepherd in your life? And here's another question is what, in, what should you expect for a pastor to do for you? I mean, is this little house on the prairie day? Is it a TV preacher or something that you have, have that kind of stereotype or picture? What in the world has God called a pastor or an elder to do in your life? And how does it benefit you? And why do you need to have spiritual leaders in your life? Now, it seems kind of basic, but I've been meditating on this lately, and I want to share something with you that I'm calling a pastor's confession. I was thinking about this the other day. I had, after my Father's Day message, I had preached a message that had a, a challenging point in it, and it was actually kind of in your face about some things. It was a challenge about people who were being too lazy to work, and, uh, but yet still just taking a check and trying to live off of someone else. And basically, I shared the verse that if you don't work, you don't eat, and I could just tell there was a little tension in the room. And I went home, and I was thinking about the fact of, did I say the right thing, and did I say it in the right way? Because though I don't want to be offensive, I want to be someone that is conveying the truth of God's Word. And it got me thinking about this, so I'm going to share something from the Scripture this evening called a pastor's confession. Now, I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to begin there, 1 Peter chapter 5. And this is kind of a, a, an opportunity for you to be able to see what kind of role that you want to have. And we've got a number of pastors on our staff, a number of elders in the church. But how can these people be a benefit to your life? Are you getting all that this church has to offer? And I'm going to talk about really three things that pastors do. About number one, caring for people. Number two, preaching the truth from God's Word. Lastly, training people for ministry. And then we'll summarize it with a scripture that talks about watching over your soul. And we're going to explore this. this first point I'm going to go pretty quick on because a lot of it is things you know. But the first one I simply say is it's caring for people. The Bible likens a pastor to a shepherd. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, Peter is talking to the elders there. And notice what he says, verse 2. He says, care for the flock. Now, who is the flock? Yeah, it's the people that are a part of a local assembly of believers. So punch your neighbor and say, you're sheep. Some of you wouldn't punch your neighbor no matter what I said. If I said your neighbor was going to give you a $20 bill, you wouldn't punch him. Care for the flock that God has, and, and notice this next phrase, entrusted to you. Now, what does that mean? It does, certainly doesn't mean ownership. I don't want to run your life. I can barely run my own life, okay? Okay. <laughs> 
But yet at the same time, there is a spiritual responsibility that God places in the hands of people. When we lay our hands on a man and, and that person is an elder in the life of our church, like Ron Humphrey. Ron is here tonight. Uh, when we lay our hands on a man and he's going to be an elder, it is a spiritual responsibility that God has placed in their care. It's just like we've got some little babies in church today. There was one in the back that somebody said, he's a week old. And this little guy on front, what's he weigh? Five pounds. Well, that little baby has been entrusted to you to raise. Grandma and Grandpa are going to come over and tickle him in goo and God, but they're going home. You're the one that that child has been given to, to train, to care for. If you leave that baby alone, guess what's going to happen? He'll die. He'll cry. He'll be in pain. But unless you care, but you do that because he has been placed in your hands as a gift from God. Well, it's the same thing spiritually. Now, I'll say some things tonight that perhaps you've never heard before, and I want you to think about something that you may be missing in your life. Notice what it says. He tells the elders that they are to watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, or not because you have to in your care for people, and not for what you'll get out of it. This is not a job. I don't go to work for a job. This is a calling. It's a vocation. It's, it's a ministry. Uh, but because you're eager to serve God. Now, here a pastor is portrayed as a shepherd. Shepherd, of course, if you think of the biblical imagery, uh, they've got sheep on the mountainside. That shepherd, number one, he's got a, a sheep fold. He leads those sheep out, and there's the leadership role. They go out and they eat, and he leads them back in to a place of safety. Uh, that shepherd is leading those sheep to food and water. It's talking about the responsibility of teaching, uh, of opening the Bible, of the life-giving spirit. That shepherd protects the sheep from, from wolves or for savage wolves, from animals or someone stealing them. It's a picture of care. And that's the kind of this first umbrella that we want to talk about. The traditional roles of pastoral care, it talks about, of course, everything from marriage to doing funerals to hospital visitation to, you know, counseling, these kind of things that, that, that no matter what church you're a part of, they're just kind of the traditional role of what a pastor does. And I hope you take advantage of these things before we do your funeral. I mean, we'll do one. We'll do our best. We'll try to minister to your family. We'll try to minister to you in the hospital. If you go to jail, we'll try to minister to you. Now, I confess, I don't, we don't do a great job. We'll visit you a couple times. But if you're in there for the long haul, it might get a little difficult. So don't go to jail, okay? Tell your neighbor, don't go to jail. You can get married and you can, you know, the other things, but, but don't go to jail. That's a little more challenging. But I want you to look at Acts chapter 20. I'm going to go kind of quickly for a moment. There's another role. It's the role of protection. Now, you may be a tough guy and all that, and that's great. But Acts chapter 20, verse 28 is an injunction to the elders and shepherds. It says, keep watch over all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. Which implies that God is in this business of putting shepherds, pastors, elders, and people bringing them together. And first of all, let me say, I'm not any better than you. I am your brother in Christ in one respect. Uh, some of you may know more of the Bible than I do. Uh, I'm not up here and you're not down there. The only reason I'm behind the pulpit is so I can hold my notes and so I can see you rather than being right on the floor. But there is a sense that we are brothers and that we are a brother and sister in the body of Christ, but yet at the same time there is a there is a different picture that's painted. The Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. So there is someone, there is some church somewhere, some pastor that the Holy Spirit wants to connect you to. 
It may be this church. It may be another church. If this is not your church, you need to find where God's called you to be because God is intended to have an overseer in the development of your spiritual life. Now look at verse 29. Here's where the word protection comes in. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about someone, some false teacher. Uh, It could be someone trying to hustle you. It could be someone trying to seduce you. I mean, no seduction happens. I mean, physical seduction, even in the church. It may be an unbeliever that's caught your eye, and they're trying to get you away. And before you know it, you're living with or married to someone that's not a godly person. I mean, no, you need some protection. And here's another thing it says. It says, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So the Bible's saying that even in our own midst, someone could rise up. It could be a Sunday school teacher, a small group leader, and they could begin to, to basically try to seduce and pull you away from the covering of the body after themselves. So the Bible says we need to be protected. We, someone needs to look over us. And here's a big one that I would absolutely take advantage of. Before you make any big decision in your life, I would always encourage you to seek some pastoral, some elder to pray with you. When we have prayer at the end of our services, maybe you're thinking about, you know, changing jobs, or maybe you're thinking about moving, or or maybe you're thinking a marriage is on the horizon, or a divorce. Big things that will impact you for the rest of your life. I would encourage you to seek someone to pray for you. Because if you take that simple act of submission, what it's saying is it's saying, God, I submit myself to you. I submit myself to the spiritual covering in my life, not for permission. And let me say this again. We are not a bunch of permission givers. We do not want to run and control your life. That's not what it's about. But there is a spiritual covering. And when you simply say, I want God's best for my marriage and I'm willing to submit it to God, would you pray for me? If you're going to buy a business or start a business or something big just to have it covered in prayer, how many know that's a valid role of protection? Here's another one. It's the word correction. It's sometimes seen in the scripture as rebuke. Uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 15, you have the authority to correct when necessary or discipline them when they get out of line. And I don't mean as some austere person, but I mean like a father that disciplines a child, like someone that cares enough to confront. Now listen, if I, was, if I had a problem in my life, well, for example, if I'm just driving my car and I left the gas station and I, and I don't have the top you know, screwed on my gas gauge, anybody ever done that? Yeah, we do it all the time. And, or maybe if you have a low tire. Have you ever been driving 60 miles an hour and you see and someone comes up to you and says, your tire is really low. Well, why are they doing that? Because that they want to run your life? No, because they want to care for you. They want to protect you. And I want to encourage you that there is a role of correction when people get off track and off base. Anybody ever been there? Aren't you glad that someone, if you're in relationship? Now, here's the deal. If you just come and hide on a Saturday night and nobody knows who you are, it's no way to be covered or cared for or protected or corrected. But if you have relationship, if you start to get off track, aren't you, wouldn't it be great if someone could save your marriage before it ended in divorce? Wouldn't it be great if someone could tell you, hey, you got a flat tire. If you're not careful, you're going to have a blowout or you're going to lose the tire. Well, that's kind of the picture here. Not somebody that's a boss in your life, but rather someone that's trying to care for you. Ezekiel 34, verse 6. Here's another one. Restoring those who go astray. Now, this is an old passage, and God is speaking to Ezekiel about the failure of the leaders. And here's what he says. He says, my sheep were scattered over all of the face of the earth, and there was what? 
none to seek after or search after them. And I want to tell you one of the greatest benefits in your life of being a part of a body of believers, of being a part where you're in a small group, where you're in a class, where you know an elder, you have a pastor, is that if you begin to drift spiritually, that someone will be in a relationship with you and go looking for you. I mean, listen, I want someone to catch me if I'm going off track. If I've got pride in my life, I want to be in relationship with someone so they can talk to me about it. See, there's a safety. But if you're not careful, you can get off and out there. And guess what? If you're by yourself, you'll be wondering, why didn't anybody call me? I hadn't been to church in a month or two months or three months. Well, guess what? If you're in relationship with someone, people know when you're missing. And I need someone, you need someone, because guess what? People, preachers get off track just like other folks do as well. We all need someone to restore us. Well, these are just some quick biblical roles here that everybody kind of thinks about and knows, but in this caring role, this shepherding role, and, of course, leading the flock. And and this next one is where I'm going to spend most of my time. I want you to go to 2 Timothy chapter 4 with me. There's another role of feeding the sheep. Now, this is what we talk about preaching and teaching. Now, I want you to look in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and Paul is talking to his successor in ministry, a young man named Timothy. Here's what he says in verse 1. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, and what does he say in verse 2? Preach the word of God. Say it with me. Preach the word of God. So it's a solemn warning that he gave to his successor, preach the word of God, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. Would you say America is in that time right now? We are in a time in America today where we are not listening to sound and wholesome teaching as a nation. Notice what it says. They will follow their own desires and look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. I'm telling you, it is out there. It is out there in the body of Christ. It is the nature of the world where nobody, not you nor your God, is going to tell me what to do. No one's going to tell me what to do. I'm the boss of my life. Verse 4, they will do what? Say it with me. Reject the truth. Now, truth is key in all this. The Bible is truth, God's Word, applicable for all of life, not just nice ideas like Reader's Digest or Prevention Magazine if you're reading about a healthy life, not magazines that are self-help, but the absolute inerrant Word of God, and people will reject the truth, the Bible says, and chase after myths. And can I tell you, my friend, we have just read a picture of modern America today. We have read a picture not only of secular America, but for much of the church. And God's solution for error was a bold proclamation of truth from the Word of God. Do you realize this week, a hundred pastors in Omaha, Nebraska, liberal pastors, signed a petition, not a petition, but a proclamation, basically, and as I quote it right, being gay is not a sin. So you have a hundred people that are pastoring liberal churches. And what is a liberal church? A liberal church is a church that does not believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God. Inerrant means without error. It is the inspired word of God. Can I tell you, my friends, people have gotten off track. The reason abortion is such of an issue in America today is because somehow we have forgotten that we were created in the image of God. And as the psalmist says, God knit me together in my mother's womb. 
But when you forget the truth of the word of God, men do that which is right in their own eyes, and that does not make me a hate monger for simply declaring the truth. You got pretty quiet on me there. There's a veteran cemetery in Houston. Imagine this, a veteran cemetery, and they put out a, 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 a memo, so to speak, that you could not mention the name God or Jesus at funerals. Houston, right down the road from Texas. And someone in this veteran cemetery said, you can't mention the name of Jesus. Now, I'm sure someone will take it to court and make sure that we can protect that right. But can I tell you, our world is confused. And the solution, according to the Bible, is that there is a bold proclamation of the truth of God. Because the Bible has the potential to pierce the heart of man. The Bible is not just a book of discourse and a book of debate and a book that people can talk about, about modern issues. The Bible is the living word of God. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. And it has the power and the potential to change a person's life. See, when you got saved as a Christian, you heard the word of God, faith was evoked in your heart, and something happened. It is a supernatural aspect to this book. Well, let me say this to you. Americans have not always been confused about the Bible and current events. Now, the world does not mind uh, so much about what we say in the four walls of the church. If we just want to go back and look at this book as a historical document, the world doesn't have much to say about that. The, re the time you and I get in trouble today is when we take the Bible out of the church into the culture. Well, can I tell you, my friends, American culture was just like that. I went to David Barton. He is uh, the premier Christian historian in, in, in America today. And from Wall Builders, you can just go to wallbuilders.com and listen to what he found was coming from America's pulpits early in America's history. This was in the 1800s, if you can imagine. Hundreds of years ago, here's what preachers would talk about. They would talk about the role of the state. They'd talk about political issues. They'd, listen to this. They'd talk about dueling. I mean, pull your pistol and shoot somebody? Can you imagine the preacher on Sunday talking about you, one, two, three, and turning around? Now, I, don't have, I didn't read the sermon yet, but it was a sermon based on a duel. They would preach sermons literally based on elections, about freedom, and here's one, the moral view of railroads. Now, can you imagine? I don't know what the guy had to say about it, but what he was trying to do is he was bringing the Bible to bear on current events. Would to God that someone would be able to have stature in Washington, D.C. that could sit in the debt talks with the Republicans and the Democrats and our president and help get America back on a path of fiscal sanity. See, we are in trouble because we have veered from what's right and what's true. And you and I are both smart enough to know that you cannot believe what you see on the television. Someone needs to be in their circle of the world declaring the truth of God's world. These preachers would talk about executions. Right now, California is thinking about totally undoing or, or stopping uh, lethal injections or people losing their life because they've been convicted of some crime. They talk about old age, and here was another one. They talk about the solar eclipse. I don't have a clue what he was talking about. He was probably talking about the enormity of God in creation. But my point to you is this. A pastor's role as preacher and teacher is to bring the Bible into everyday life. 
It is to bring things into your world that you can take into the workplace with you, that you can take into your place of business, that can shape your thinking when it comes to what's going on in the world that's around us. When we have dialogue and conversation, when you have a dialogue with someone about national sovereignty versus globalism, can I tell you, the Bible has a perspective on these things. When the world is clamoring for a one-world government, they are. They're clamoring for a one-world currency. They're all openly talking about getting rid of the dollar as the standard of the reserve currency of the world. They want to replace it with a one-world currency. Can I tell you, my friends, the Bible has input on these subjects of our day. The pulpit is the place that should bring God's word, but tragically, listen, tragically the pulpit is silent in America today. Pastors are afraid to speak the truth of God's word in America today. I'm telling you. You just don't hear it very often. And I'll tell you two big reasons. Number one, pastors are increasingly afraid of government in, in, in America today. They're increasingly afraid of being sued and laws being allied against them. But I want to tell you another, and I think it's an even bigger reason. Pastors are afraid of offending people and they won't come back to church. I'm telling you just like it is. Pastors are afraid. When I went home two or three weeks ago on Father's Day weekend, and I talked about teaching your children to be successful, one of the things that we talked about was teaching your children the values of what we've come to call capitalism, about work, about risk, about making something of your life, not just depending on someone else and being like half of America today that's living because of a government handout. You'll never have dominion. You remember Genesis 1.28? You'll never subdue if you have that mentality. And I was very concerned when I went home asking myself the question, did I offend people? Are you with me? I'm just being real, real with you this morning. And I go, I'm very careful not to be offensive unless it's something that's clear Bible truth. And then if you get offended, that's your problem. It's not mine. Because my role is to declare in a loving, humble fashion the truth of the Word of God. I'll tell you how this works. I had a friend of mine I just talked to recently. He was a pastor. And uh, he told me, he said, a number of years ago, uh, the police chief came to him and said, listen, there's a racial problem that's brewing in our city. Uh, it's growing stronger and stronger. The law enforcement's involved. Uh, they're bringing in outside speakers. You know, this is going to turn very volatile, volatile and violent. Will you go down and be a part of that? And he did. He went down there. He went there, and he was with people, uh, the preachers in the city of a different race. And lo and behold, someone had come in from the outside, one of the speakers, and the television cameras found the exact shot to align him with this person who came in from out of town that they knew would be polarizing. They put it on the television and five law enforcement officers in his church quit and never came back and didn't have the courtesy to even ask what was going on because they made an assumption based on a two-second television shot that the television simply wanted to stir strife with. And can I tell you, my friends, something is wrong with that. When the cultural issues causes us to be able to be so offended and mad and walk away from someone that's opened the Word of God for decades. I'm preaching way better than you're amening this morning. I'm going to pursue this a little bit further. Listen, I believe my primary role as the teacher is to declare the truth of the inerrant Word of God to you. And not only to talk of it historically, but to try to bring the Bible to bear on modern events that are around you. To try to help you to think biblically as you face the world around you. When you look at the television, when you look at world events, that you see them from a biblical point of view. Uh, some people like it. 
And some people are offended, and I can tell you that. I go out of my way not to be offensive, but yet at the same time, it's very important to me to be as clear as I can about the issues in the world from a biblical point of view. I want to give you a little sample of this. Uh, Our church does a radio ministry. I want to play just uh, three little quick 30-second radio spots to you and give you an idea of what I'm talking about, about what we as our church, what I am able to say on behalf of our church on the airwaves. Take a peek. Go ahead real quick. In 1963, Congressman Albert Herlong entered the 45 goals of communism in the congressional record. Communists planned to eliminate prayer and religious expression in schools under the guise of the separation of church and state. Another was to discredit the family as an institution and encourage promiscuity and easy divorce. They'd also discredit the Bible and the Founding Fathers. Communism is alive and well in America. It's not too late to return to limited government and biblical values. I'm Pastor John Miller. Visit me at churchontherock.org. Atheists in the ACLU tried hard to stop prayer at high school graduations this spring. It took a federal appeals court to say it was okay to pray in San Antonio. In Tennessee, a high school principal said any student who attempted to pray would be arrested. Why has prayer become so offensive? What has made people so afraid of the name of Jesus? How can laws be considered just because one person is offended? How about the rights of the thousands who are offended when they're told to be silent? I'm Pastor John Miller. Visit me at churchontherock.org. How far will America go in its tolerance of radical Islam? We're fighting two wars in the Middle East, but we seem strangely naive about the jihadist's intent. It made little difference that a Muslim army psychiatrist murdered fellow soldiers at Fort Hood. Foreign radical clerics have been arrested on our border, and Homeland Security recently warned us of the increasing threat from homegrown terrorists. Perhaps we must realize, as leaders of Britain, Germany, and France have, that multiculturalism has failed. I'm Pastor John Miller. Visit me at churchontherock.org. That's all we got. But listen, they're on the radio every day. And it's an attempt to be a prophetic voice from the Bible to the issues that are our day. And can I tell you, not everybody agrees. I got an email after that last one that was talking about uh, radical Islam. This email said, are you aware that you're in the United States of America and not Nazi Germany? To unilaterally declare that multiculturalism does not work and use your scare tactics to incite hatred and violence against a minority group that you're hating is not Christian. Your propaganda is not only un-American, but it's also un-Christian. Go back and read your Bible. And you know what I did when I I got it? I went back and listened to what I said. I let someone else listen listen to it and make sure that to the best we could understand that it was accurate in talking about the issues and then played it again. Because I believe truth is what's missing in America. Truth is what's missing. And it happens in our church sometimes, the same reaction. If I talk about a racial issue, it is one of the most polarizing things in America today. And one of the most potentially polarizing things in our church. I can say one racially related remark, and I don't mean a slur, I just mean a perspective, and all of a sudden, you've got people doing just like that. And all of a sudden, people that have said pastor for 10 years are ready to walk out because of one point of disagreement. I want to ask you for the permission to do the best that we're able to do to bring God's Word into current issues. And let me say this to you. If I say something that's in error, because I'm not infallible. The Word of God is infallible, but I'm not. 
And I realize sometimes opinions can slip over into things, particularly when you're trying to apply the Bible to modern day life. So if I share something that's not biblically sound, you have not only the, uh, the, the, the opportunity but the responsibility to shoot me an email, to give me a call, to write me a note or something and say, hey, think about that the way it came across. And if I was wrong, I'll stop and I'll take it back. But listen, if it's just an opinion that we disagree on, for example, if you're of one political party and I'm of another, let's, we can just agree to disagree on that one, okay, and not be hostile towards one another. See, I don't want to walk away from you if I find out whether there's a DR or an I on your voter registration card. There's something deeper about this in the body of Christ. But here's another deal. If I share something from the Bible that is biblically sound and true and it offends you, then you just need to get over it and change your life. That's the way it works. Because I'm not going to walk on eggshells because I want to prepare you. Come on, I want to do what the Bible says is to declare the whole gospel, not just a part of it. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. All right, I'm about done. I'm out of time. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to wind up with this. Remember we've talked about the pastor's role was caring for people. We've talked about the preaching, teaching role. And lastly, I want to talk about a role that we call training people for ministry. Now here, Ephesians 4.11, I want you to see the pastor is like a coach. Remember Denzel Washington in the movie, uh, Remember the Titans. Look at Ephesians 4.11. The Bible says that Jesus gave these gifts to the body of Christ or to the people. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.11, Jesus gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, the shepherds or pastors and teachers. And notice verse 12. The purpose of giving these men to the body of Christ was to do what? To say it again. Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That word means to train people to serve the Lord. So we have a role here, not just doing your marriage and your funeral, not just trying to care for you and not just talk to you, but to help train you like a coach trains an athlete to be successful. A good coach takes the raw potential of an athlete and can turn them into a superstar. And can I tell you, you have a call that's on your life. You have gifts, you have abilities, you have resources, and God wants you to do something to build the kingdom of God. And I, our pastors, our elders, have a role to help develop you to get you out doing ministry. Now, there is a philosophy that many of you are raised up in that is absolutely wrong. The philosophy of many churches you were raised in was that we hire a preacher to do the work of the church and we come to sit and listen. Now, you may hire the preacher, listen now, to do the funeral and to do the marriage and to do the hospital visitation, but guess what? When it comes to the work of the ministry, of reaching people, of sharing the gospel of Christ, of serving, of going to homeless shelters, of going to jails, of going to the poor areas of the city, of organizing evangelism teams, of doing mission trips, this is the work of the ministry, and that is not my job, that is your job. Come on, point to your neighbor and say, it's our job. There's a ministry that God has called us to. And our pastor's role, our elder's role, are to help provoke us to be those people that God has called us to be. Every believer is called to serve him. I want to wrap this up with a little story so you can see the imagery. It's a, it was from a blog I read on the Internet. And it's about a, a, a man that was near death. It says, it can be hard these days to find a parking space outside a certain brick-and-tan split-level home on Grayson Avenue in northwest Roanoke, Virginia. By the hundreds, young and middle-aged men and women have been parking their cars and walking somberly inside. They're paying last respects to a man who influenced them deeply back when they were young. 
His name is James Earl Jones, 65 years of age, and he's dying from cancer. He's better known as Coach Jones. The guy who listened to this took young students and turned them into star athletes and successful adults. He was an ordained minister, by the way. Among those that were visiting, his former people he coached, NBA player George Lynch, former NCAA champion sprinter Jamie Price. A third is the All-American sprinter Armita Crosby. And then there's Shannon Taylor who went on to play football at University of Virginia and the, the NFL. And there's many, many more. What's the picture here? Here's a guy that had shaped people and brought out the best of them so they could reach their highest potential. None of those kids showed up for two-a-day practices in the 8th grade or 10th grade or 11th grade. None of them showed up with a ticket to the NFL. But a coach saw potential in their life. A coach developed them. A coach challenged them. A coach encouraged them. He did the equipping. He did the training. And he brought them to a place, come on, where it helped them to absolutely be the best they could be in that sphere of their life. And that's exactly what your pastors and what your elders want to do for you if you'll allow us. If you'll move from the pew and get into the game, we can make a difference reaching this world for Christ. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. I'm going to close with this. I want our pastors and any of the elders that are here to come to the stage. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Our response. I've talked to you, shared from the Bible, that as a pastor, we care for people, we preach the truth, we train people. And here's an interesting phrase in this last verse. Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders and act under their authority. Now listen to this. They're watching over you because they're responsible for your soul. Can I say it again? They're watching over you and they're responsible for your soul. Obey them so that their work will, so they'll do this work with joy and not sadness. It will not help you, uh, it will not help you to make their work hard. I, I, I have always stumbled over this scripture. Another translation says that they watch over your soul as men who must give an account. And one day God is going to ask me about you. One day, you that, are, you that are under the care of this church. Sometimes the shepherd doesn't know who's in the flock in the modern American church. But what a great gift that God has given that made opportunity that there's someone that will watch over my soul. Because here's what we want to do. We want to help you get to heaven. But we also want to hear Jesus look at you and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Our, our job is not, to, not just to get you to sign your name on some card somewhere. Our, job, our goal for you is that you live the Christian life in such a way so that when Christ sees you, He smiles because you've given your life fully and completely to Him. You didn't just start the Christian life. You finished strong. You see, you didn't, just, you didn't just get a little Bible information to slip into heaven, some fire insurance, but you took a hold of this thing and you made a difference in your world for Christ. And that's what it's about. That's what we do. That's what pastors do. That's what elders do. We've got more. Larry's not here. Uh, who else is not here? I guess he's the only one missing. He's on vacation. But uh, Pastor Nick and Pastor Travis and Joe's an elder and Pastor Mike and Sharon serve in the pastoral office and Ron's an elder and Rick's an elder. My wife and I are pastors and Brother Fred's an elder and Pastor Joe serving. Oh, come on up here just a minute. We just want to close this evening and simply ask you as we kind of head towards the fall in a new season of church life, get on the bus with us. Follow us as we follow Christ. Follow the example of those that are living a godly life. And let's work together to reach as many people in this world as we can.
Let's reach as many people in Texarkana, reach as many people in the United States of America. Let's influence the spiritual climate of our nation. And let's make a difference around the world. And that, my friend, is what church is all about. And that's a pastor's confession this evening. Come on, give the Lord one last hand tonight. I want to pray with you this evening. See, this is not just playing church. It's not just going somewhere for an hour. It's a part of the body of Christ that's populating heaven. Just lift your hand towards the congregation. Today, Lord, we want to just pray a blessing over all of the many friends that are here today. All of these people that are on a journey sharing life with us. We just want to pray over them today as a spiritual covering as men and women of God who are called to serve you by serving these people. Our brothers, our sisters, our co-laborers in the body of Christ. We pray for each one of them today that they would all become the person you've created them to be. We pray that their lives would just brim over with health and life. We pray that their lives would be a contagious influence to other people. We ask you to bless their homes, to bless their families. We ask you to cause them to prosper and succeed in everything they do. We pray that you bless them financially. We pray that you would help them live a godly, holy life. And we pray, Lord, for this equipping role as a coach somehow we could partner with them as we go into the fall and this ministry that we're doing together and make a difference in as many people's lives as we can. And Holy Spirit, all of us together, lift all, let's all lift our hands to heaven. Lord, we just ask you to inhabit this place afresh. We just pray the Spirit of God would fill each one of us, would, would fill this, this building, would fill the powerhouse, would, the glory of God would just, would just come in dramatic ways and people would be supernaturally Pray, Lord, for all of us that are here. This will be the greatest year of our life. We just simply say, welcome, welcome, welcome. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Hey, it's good tonight, wasn't it? Give the Lord one last hand. And here's how we're going to close. We're going to close with an opportunity for prayer. And I sure hope you'll come down to the powerhouse and hang out with us and support the kids and have dinner down there. But our prayer team is going to come in just a second. We'll close every service this way because there's an opportunity for you to connect with God in the place of prayer. We've laughed in our service tonight. We've been challenged. We, we celebrated some things. We heard the word of God. We worshiped. But there's something that you can't omit, and that's the place of prayer. That's when two people join their faith together about a need in their life. And I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what your needs are. But I'm telling you, God knows and God can do something about it. If you need God to help you in anything in life, maybe someone in your, your family, a friend, maybe they need some help. We want to pray for you. You don't have to be a member of our church for prayer. You just come and let us agree with you that God will touch you and help your life. There may be people that are here today that are maybe not right with God. And when I talked about watching over your soul, maybe you've not thought about heaven that much or hell. and You don't even know if you're going or, or what's the future. You need to talk to somebody tonight. You can make a step to Christ tonight. You can find forgiveness for your sins. You can find a brand new start in life tonight. You can get on course with God. So if you're here this evening, I want to encourage you. If your relationship with God's not where it needs to be, you come and let us pray for you. Someone will help you. Go ahead and stand to your feet right now. Our prayer team is coming to the front. And we're going to sing a song through a time or two. Our prayer team is coming. If you need prayer tonight, why don't you come and let us pray for you. We'll sing this a time or two and then we'll go home.